Well, today we're in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, and Paul deals with an issue of, of lawsuits. And on the surface, I think it seems kind of odd that in the midst of discussing sexual immorality that Paul would begin to talk about lawsuits of young believers. And what in the world does that have to do with sexual immorality? Well, if we back up for a second, I think we see that the, both of them contribute to a much greater issue that Paul is concerned about, and I think that the Lord is concerned about for all of us, is that how our behavior impacts unbelievers. Are we attracting people to want to come and consider Christ, or are we driving them away? And so what we see as we look at, at chapter 6 today, in these first 11 verses we're going to be in, is, is Paul's going to talk about lawsuits, but he's also going to write back to the issue of sexual morality, and he's going to talk about swindling and being greedy and all these other kind of things, is that the greater issue is how we impact other people. And so the connection here, the reason that Paul would deal with, with uh, Christians suing other Christians in the midst of talking about sexual immorality is because whether you're living a sexually immoral lifestyle openly in front of people or you're constantly running before unbelievers to sue about every little thing and you can't get along with people in the church, both of them discredit your witness. Both of them. And so God is calling us to live in such a way that we would attract people Christ. I have a friend in Atlanta who has really a, a ministry to Jehovah's Witnesses. He never intended to start that ministry, and, and, it, and that's a pattern that I've seen, is so many people uh, never intend to start ministries that become great ministries. A lot of people never uh, intended to start businesses that became great businesses. It's funny how God has a way of interrupting your plans with better plans, isn't it? My friend was simply teaching on Wednesday night about different uh, cults and groups. And so he began to do a lot of research about Jehovah's Witnesses to try to prepare for that and be well equipped. And in that process, he, he began to meet some people. He began to witness to some Jehovah's Witnesses and he, uh, he led several of them to Christ and they were baptized in his church there in Atlanta. In fact, they at one point allowed him to come down to the Kingdom Hall and, and, and speak to everyone. And so he made a big impact on them. And one of the ladies that he introduced to Christ told of her experience going door to door. She was out going door to door because that's what the Jehovah's Witnesses told her she needed to do. And she said she went to this lady's house that she knew was a Christian and she went up and she knocked on the door. And she said the lady was extremely rude to her and slammed the door in her face. And she said, as I was walking across the lawn back to my car, she said, I thought, I don't know if I have the truth or not, but whatever that lady has, I don't want it. Later, she was able to overcome that obstacle but that, that episode just reminds me that, that we have the potential every day. We have the potential to either drive people away or draw them in. And so God is calling us to live in such a way that people would look at our lives and say, I don't know exactly what they have, but, but I'm interested in checking it out. And so as we think about all these issues, whether it's greed, sexual immorality, whether it's constantly suing people over petty things, whatever it might be, the greater issue is that God is calling us to live our life in such a way that we're concerned about others. 
When we get to the last part of our verses today, we see where Paul is talking about some of these things. And he's saying, such were some of you. The people in Corinth were people who had been changed out of all kinds of immoral lifestyles. And change is what is to define God's people. It's not perfection. It's change. It's not that we've never done anything wrong. It's that we have been forgiven and we've changed into a new into new people and so today as we think about about all these all these broader issues and what they mean for our life and how we're to live the title of today's message is changed people live like changed people first corinthians chapter 6 beginning in verse 1 is where i want to invite you to join me so would you stand with me this out of honor and reverence for god's word as we read this together first corinthians chapter 6 beginning in verse 1 The Bible says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So, If you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and by the spirit of our god let's pray together father as people who have been washed and sanctified and justified i pray that we would learn to live accordingly may people be drawn into your kingdom because of our influence on their life. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Paul opens this part of the discussion talking about lawsuits. And so when we begin to think about the issue of of one Christian suing another Christian, I think the greater principle that we see here is that before going to court against other Christians, we should carefully consider how our choices and behavior affects unbelievers so the major issue in verse one here is not going to the law notice that Paul Paul is never saying there shouldn't be a time in our life that we ever appeal to the law after all Paul himself appealed to the law on multiple occasions throughout his ministry I don't know if you remember, but there was a time when Paul was arrested in the temple courts and uh, they, the, the Romans took him and they stretched him out and they were about to flog him. And Paul all of a sudden said, 
is it lawful to flog a Roman citizen? Paul was appealing to the law. And the Bible says that the moment that he said that, the, those that had came to do the flogging immediately left, and the ones that were in charge began to quake in fear because they, they didn't realize that Paul was a Roman citizen and they'd violated his rights. We see in multiple occasions Paul appealing to the law. So Paul is not saying there's never be a time that, that we, don't, we don't appeal to the law. The issue here is not going to the law, but going to the law before the unrighteous to bring in believers. It's our behavior that would make a bad impression on those who already view the church as skeptical. Notice in verse 2 what he says. Or do you not know? This very phrase, or do you not know, occurs six times in this chapter alone. He says, or do you not know? The clear implication is that they should know better than to do what they are doing, and yet they're doing it, they're doing it anyway. So when we think about what Paul says here, or do you not know, we recognize that, that part of living the Christian life involves studying. It involves studying God's Word to know what God is teaching us. How, how are we going to know how God wants us to behave in the world if we don't read His Word and study? And so Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, Or do you not know? Now, Paul references the final judgment, which is it's rather interesting to think about why he would reference this here. But Paul references the final judgment in which, according to the Scriptures, believers will assist with. Here's what Jesus said about this, Matthew 19, 28. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you will have you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, specifically, Jesus was speaking here to his disciples, and the Bible nowhere says that every Christian is going to participate in assisting in the final judgment. When we think about the end times, the Bible just doesn't give us as many details as a lot of us would like to have. But Paul does appeal to this clear teaching that, that believers are going to assist in judging the world. And so Paul is saying, if we're going to be given that great monumental task, surely we can figure out how to settle some minor disputes among ourselves. In Luke chapter 22, here's another passage where Jesus is teaching about this. And he says, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign you to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So once again, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And there are other passages that speak about the end times and believers assisting with it. And this is what Paul is talking about here when he says, says why would we go before the world, before unbelievers, to settle petty things when God has given us such a monumental task? If God is willing to entrust us with such a great task, surely we can settle little things. So, the, so the, the clear teaching that we see here is that we, we need to settle disputes with other Christians among ourselves as far as possible. As far as possible. Conflict is, is just absolutely inevitable. 
But you and I don't have to remain in conflict. We have the ability to work together, to forgive, to discuss, to try to understand. And instead of taking everything that, that comes up somewhere else before unbelievers, we need to settle it among ourselves. And one of the major reasons is because we don't want to make a bad impression upon unbelievers and drive them away from the church. And so Paul says in verse 5, I say this to your, to your shame, to your shame. When we think about our role in the church, we're here in part to bring glory to God. And although we should be giving glory to God, we're capable of bringing shame. We're capable of bringing shame to ourselves, to our church, and to the Lord. This is why Paul says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. In the Sermon on the Mount, many people have entitled it the greatest sermon ever preached. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And here's what Jesus said as he was addressing this issue of conflict with other people. Matthew chapter 5 verse 23 he says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus is going to say more about this in just a second in the next couple of verses. But before we move on, notice that Jesus places reconciliation with other Christians above even service to God. He says, if you're on your way and, and, and at the moment that you're about to offer your gift, you remember that you have wronged somebody or somebody's wronged you. There's, a, there's an issue between you and another. He said, just leave the gift. You can, you can worry about the gift to the Lord later. Instead, go fix this first. I think this tells us something about how important it is for us to try to be reconciled to other people. So verse 25, notice what he says is he gives very concrete directions here. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus says, come to terms quickly, quickly. And then he says, come to terms with your accuser, meaning don't wait for it to go to court and it to be settled there. If possible, come to terms with your accuser quickly. Here, here's something I, I discovered. I, I don't know if you like conflict. I don't really like conflict, but I'm not afraid of it. Uh, I know a lot of people, I've worked with people in the past that have actually enjoyed conflict. They're constantly stirring it up and creating it because they enjoy being in the middle of it. There's people like that, believe it or not. That's their personality. They actually enjoy it. There's other people that are, that are so horrified of it that they'll, they'll, uh, they'll suffer all kinds of wrong and injury to avoid having any kind of conflict with anybody. And we really need to have a healthy balance somewhere in the middle. We don't need to enjoy conflict but we don't need to run from it either because here's what I've discovered. When there's a conflict, the faster you deal with it, the easier, the easier it is to resolve and the smaller the conflict is. When you let something go, it has a tendency to grow. It has a tendency to, to fester and it becomes bigger and greater. So Jesus says to settle it quickly. 
And he says to settle it with your accuser. So, so meaning, uh, don't, don't wait for go to court because you might not like the outcome if it goes to court. He says, he says, truly I say you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So Paul says, can it be there is no one among you wise enough to settle dispute between the brothers? So we need to work to settle disputes with other Christians. But I want you to notice a principle here. You don't have to settle with someone who has wronged you. You can simply choose to, to forgive them if you choose. Notice what the Bible says as we read the rest of this. He says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. And then in verse uh, 7, he says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. And, and notice, here's this principle. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. So Paul says here, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? And I don't think that he means that no matter how bad things are or how bad you've been wrong, you're just supposed to bear that. But I think it means that there's times in our life when we, when we just need to forgive people and just, just let it go. And it's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Especially when you've been, when you've been wronged. And the thing that I notice is that it seems like the closer we have a relationship with somebody, sometimes it's the harder it is to actually let it go. But in church, one of the options that we have is just to forgive people. We might ask the question, why in the world would we want to forgive somebody who has wronged us? Well, if you're saved, the Lord has forgiven you. The Lord has forgiven you for many things that you've done in which you have wronged him. And instead of requiring you to make restitution and pay a debt you couldn't pay, the Lord Jesus paid it for you. And so when we come and we find ourselves in conflict with another person, maybe we ask ourselves, is this even worth being in conflict over? Or can I just forgive them and not mention it again and let it go? Conflict. One of the observations that I've made is that how much conflict in church is over miscommunication. People are mad at other people about things they never said and thoughts they never had. I had a couple guys in, in Atlanta that got into just a, a, a major blow up. I, I don't think they're, as far as I know, I'm not sure if they're reconciled to this day. And it was all over a huge just miscommunication. And, and what happened was, is that their, their, their schedules changed, which caused uh, them not to be able to, to do something that they used to do together. And then there was some conflict over, and, and neither one had enough humility to, to simply explain what was happening or, or even ask a question. And so they, they, they got in this, this, this huge war with one another. And, and one day I got, a, I got a phone call after church. And one of them was just, just irate. They, they called me and they said, I passed so-and-so in the hall. And, and he said, he didn't even speak to me. He said, I've just had all I can deal with with this. And I said, well, I said, did, did you speak to him? 
no, I didn't speak to him. And I said, well, I, 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 you know, I've had some conversations with him. I think he's, he's a little upset too. You know, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe you don't fully understand what's going on here. And he says, oh, I know what's going on here. I said, no, I'm not sure you do. And so we talked for a little bit. I kind of calmed him down and, and there's no lie. It wasn't 30 minutes that the other guy called my phone. And here's what he says. I passed so-and-so in the hall today and he didn't even speak to me. And I said, well, I said, uh, I'm not going to tell you what he said about that. But I think if instead of calling me, you would actually call him and speak to him, the conversation might go different than you think. He said, really? I said, yes. I said, I think he wants to be friends with you too again. I said, call him and talk to him. He said, I will. I'm not sure that he did. But miss, miscommunication. It's amazing how we can get into conflict because we see somebody and they have a look on their face and we think we know what they're thinking. You know what I've discovered over the years at looking at a lot of faces on Sunday morning is that you don't know what people are thinking. Sometimes people have a scowl on their face because they're sick. They don't feel well. I remember early when I started preaching, I took great offense at anybody that left the sanctuary when I was preaching. I'd be right in the middle of a sermon and somebody would get up and walk out. And I thought, what is their problem? And then I, then I grew up a little bit. I understood, you know, sometimes people just have to go to the bathroom. They're coming right back. They're not storming out mad. You can't read everything, you know, all this stuff into everything. You just can't read into it. If you think somebody's upset with you, maybe just say a kind word to them the next Sunday. See how they respond. You might find out they were just sick the Sunday before. There's so much conflict that takes place over things that nobody did, nobody said, or even thought. But we create this in our, in our mind. And I don't know exactly what was going on in Corinth. But it seems that people running to court against other people in the church had become a pattern. And the very people that Paul was hoping to see come to faith was developing a very low opinion of the church because they saw this behavior. And so when we begin to think about what should people think of when they see us? Well, God's people, they should be characterized by change. Change. So he says in verse 9, or do you not know? There's that phrase again six times in this chapter. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And then he gives this, this list. And you know, I think that one of the reasons that the Bible often gives lists is not to be exhaustive, but, to, but to, to put something on the list that will catch all of us. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I've not done all those things but there's things on that list I'm definitely guilty of. There's certainly been times in my life that I was greedy instead of generous. There have been times uh, when I've, I've done things that are even not on this list. There's definitely been times that I've been an idolater and uh, made money an idol in my life and success and, and, and different things. There's no question that I'm guilty of things on this list. 
But the Bible says in verse 11, and I think this is one of the most encouraging verses in Scripture if you understand it. And such were some of you, past tense. Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous, none of us are righteous on our own. But when we come to faith in Christ, confess our sins and receive his forgiveness, we are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified. So that before God, we stand before him as though we have, as though he had never sinned. The righteousness that Paul is saying that is required to enter the kingdom of heaven, it's not a self-righteousness. It's not a self-righteousness of saying I've never done anything wrong. It's the righteousness of Christ that we take on when we change and come to repentance and faith. And so the life of the believer is characterized by this change. That's why when we live a lifestyle of open sexual immorality, like most of the culture, there's no change to see. This is why when we can't get along with anybody, we're constantly in disputes and we run down to the courthouse every time there's a problem we, and we sue somebody just to see how much we can possibly get out of them or just, just for vengeance sake. People, people see this. It's why when, when we're, we're greedy people or we, or we swindle others in, in unfair business practices, when we, when we live like this, people don't see any change in us and this is why people will often say they don't go to church because there are so many hypocrites in the church because they see people who claim to be Christians but when they look at their life they don't see any difference between their life and themselves and so God's people to be characterized not by perfection but by change Jesus taught us that repentance is required. That's why all of these things and, and any other thing that's not on this list, we have to be putting it behind us and reaching out to follow Christ. In Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, listen to what, what Jesus said. He said, there, the Bible says here, there were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled in their sacrifices. And so... When we think about evil in the world, this is not a new thing. In the first century, there was evil in the world. In the first century, there were people who were cruel. There were people who died tragically. There was, there was all kinds of problems in the world in the first century, just like there is now. And so the Bible says that Jesus is teaching, and some of them tell Jesus about the, the Galileans who uh, Pilate has massacred and, and literally uh, mingled their blood with their sacrifices. And we, we don't know the motive for their question, the reason they brought it up, but I suspect 
that just like today when people bring up evil in the world and war and all these different things, their underlying question is, is why? Why is this taking place? And here's how Jesus responds. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then Jesus references another event current in their time. He says, or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so this is what Paul is talking about when he says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Repentance means change. So the people in Corinth, and I don't think that everybody in Corinth that was attending that church was, was saved. But Paul is teaching them that saved people live differently. God's people are not to be defined by their past sin, but by their present change. And so when he looked at these people, he gives this list. And he says, and such were some of you. They were those things. They're not anymore because they repented of their sin. This is why. This is why we can't live in open sex, uh, sexual immorality. This is why we can't constantly be uh, swindling people. It's why we can't sue everybody about everything. It's why we need to be on guard about everything that we do publicly so that when people look at us, they'll be drawn to him. Paul says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Friend, if that's true about you today, then let us live accordingly. Let's pray together. Father, we give thanks today that there's forgiveness for sin. And Lord, I pray that you help all of us to be honest with ourselves, to confess our sins and to receive forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us humility. And Lord, I pray that in wisdom, we would know how to conduct ourselves in this world so that people might be drawn to you. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Maybe you're here today, and as we read that list, there's something on there that convicts you. Paul said about the church of Corinth, and such were, past tense, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were cleansed, you were justified. I want you to know today, there, there may be things in your mind that in this moment you're just ashamed of. You're ashamed before God. You'd be ashamed if anybody knew about it. God already knows about it. In fact, God knew about it before you ever did it. 
And here's what the Bible says about that. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says that's how God has demonstrated his love for us. It's that while we were still, still in sin, he sent his son to die for us. And so here's what I want you to understand today. You can be forgiven. You can be washed. You can be a new person before God. God can use you to do great things, to build his kingdom, and to bring other people into it. But it begins with us making a decision to change and to seek forgiveness. So if there's never been a time in your life that you've made this commitment to the Lord, I want to invite you to do that now, right now at the end of our service. You can pray right there in your seats. If you need help praying, I'll be standing at the front. Here's what God promises in Scripture. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why don't you claim that promise today? Calling on the Lord just means praying to him, speaking to him. All you have to do is in sincerity, just ask, and you can be forgiven, and you can be changed. For those of us that have been saved, we need to live very wisely. God has given us the greatest task that any person has ever been given, and that's to be an ambassador for Christ, an ambassador. We can't do that if we're engaged in all kinds of immorality that the world sees. We can't be an ambassador for Christ. We have no credibility with our neighbors, our friends, and our coworkers. So I want to ask you today, is there something in your life you need to change so that people will be drawn to Christ because of you and not driven away. If God has convicted you about anything, would you just confess it to him and say, Lord, I I need to be forgiven again. I want to be an effective ambassador for Christ, drawing people to him. So friend, whatever decision you need to make, right now is the time to make it as we stand and sing together.